a series on the Holy Spirit. Today we'll be considering the Holy Spirit in eternity. Um, I want to let you guys know up front, I took the structure of this lesson and much of the content from this book, Reform Systematic Theology, Volume 3. This is great. It's on the Spirit and Salvation. Um, I believe there's a copy in the library. Reformation Heritage Books has it for 30 bucks or something like that. It's, it's great. Uh, so I would commend that to you. Just know, I, I didn't cite the whole thing, but most of this comes from this book. And also from a, a teaching series that Sinclair Ferguson did called Who is the Holy Spirit? And I would commend that to you sense. as well. It makes perfect sense to, to draw from great things that have already been thought through. Yes. Original, right. right? Right. There's a lot of uh, there's been a lot of good things taught and written. We should draw on those. Um, before I pray, I want to direct your attention to the the first point: uh, questions to consider. These are some hypothetical situations, uh, purely hypothetical, meaning they they won't uh, come to pass. But uh, I think it. The, these questions get at uh, some of the practical implications of studying the Holy Spirit. Why should we study the Holy Spirit? So the first question is, if you had to choose between having the Lord Jesus here bodily, and I forgot to put this, but and, and you do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, or a normal human preacher or teacher, but you do have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, which would you choose and why? So basically... The Lord Jesus Christ, uh, th- th- this is a question from Sinclair Ferguson. Um, he was teaching on the, the Upper Room Discourse in the, the latter chapters of John. And he's, he's saying, you know, it would be really cool to be there in that room with the Lord Jesus and hear him teaching us. And he asked this question, would you rather be in that situation or in this situation with Sinclair Ferguson plus the Holy Spirit or the Lord Jesus Without the Holy Spirit, which would you choose and why? Think about that. And the second question, if the Holy Spirit were to withdraw his saving and sanctifying presence from the earth, which, thankfully, uh, he won't, but what practical difference would that make in your life? So be thinking about those questions. Um, We'll discuss them uh, towards the end if we have time. But there is an awful lot to talk about. So let me open us in prayer and I'll take you through the outline Tell you what we'll be talking about. Our great triune God, we come before you this morning thankful for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for this opportunity that you've given to us to come together as brothers and sisters through the blood of Jesus Christ and the work of your Holy Spirit on our behalf. Thank you for the Spirit, for his saving and sanctifying work, but that you'd be with us this morning, that you would Open the eyes of our hearts, open our ears, we might behold wonderful things from your word. Be made more like your son Christ for your glory. Probably these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Alright, so uh, the outline is out there as usual. If you do not have one, you can go grab one. Uh, I'm just going to show you uh, real quick what we'll be talking about. So this is the Holy Spirit in eternity. I took that as the Holy Spirit in eternity past. We could also talk about the Holy Spirit in eternity in the future, uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, if we have time, but Holy Spirit in eternity past. Um, so before we look at what we'll be talking about, what what did the Holy Spirit 
do before the creation uh, of time, of heaven, of earth, everything in the earth? What was God doing? He enjoys fellowship with himself. Okay, yeah, yeah, triune fellowship. It's called perichoresis, and we'll talk about that near the end. Good. What's a what's one? It's a difficult question, right? Um, What was God doing before He created heavens, the earth, time? Um, There's a maybe apocryphal story that someone asked Saint Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, this question: What was God doing before He created time? And uh, he gave a supposedly gave a, a somewhat sarcastic answer that I won't repeat, but if you want to know, you can talk to me afterwards. Um, it's a difficult question because there's not a lot of material in the Bible that talks about what God was doing before creation. But there is one really basic thing that we can say the Trinity and each person of the Trinity was doing before creation. So fellowship, yes, but even more basic than that, what was God doing God was God was existing, right? Being, being, right? God was being. He was doing being. It's a confusing way of saying it, but God was existing. So, for that reason, you'll see here um, we're going to talk a lot about who the Holy Spirit is um, in systematic theology. Often the hey, Connor, yes, point something out. yes, but he hasn't changed from being since before creation of. There's no change in God. That's what immutable means, right? Immutable is malleable, formable. You can change, like Plato is immutable. God is immutable. The Holy Spirit is immutable. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. So for that reason, we're going to talk a lot about the ontological Holy Spirit. Use this, this distinction, the ontological trinity and the economic trinity. Ontological, ontological just means uh, being of something. So the ontological trinity is who each person of the Trinity is in himself, and who the Trinity is uh, as a unified uh, three-in-one presence. So we're going to talk about the ontological Holy Spirit. The economic Trinity, or the economic Holy Spirit, would be uh, the, the Trinity's works in creation, redemption, salvation, uh, and, and history, and all that sort of thing. The rest of the series will focus on uh, more of the economic Holy Spirit. What has the Holy Spirit been doing in history? So next week, uh, Pastor Mock will teach uh, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Then we'll look at the Holy Spirit in the Incarnation of Christ. Um, we'll look at gifts of the Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. So those are, uh, we might say, the economic Holy Spirit. Today we're going to talk a lot about the ontological Holy Spirit. Sinclair Ferguson points out that um, when he was younger, a lot of people would talk about the Holy Spirit as the the forgotten person of the Trinity, um, making the point that we're sort of functional um, die theists, right? There's the Father and the Son, and yeah, we confess the Holy Spirit, but kind of forget about him. He made the point that it's 
more like the Holy Spirit is the unknown person in the Trinity. We confess the Holy Spirit, you know, Apostles' Creed, right? I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, but do we actually know who the Holy Spirit is? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So we have some, just by way of introduction, since this is the first series, or the first lesson in the series, why should we study the Holy Spirit? We'll look at who the Holy Spirit is, uh, some of the words used, the names, the deity of the Holy Spirit, Spirit, uh, the personality of the Spirit. And then we'll look at the works of the Holy Spirit in eternity. And then if we have time, we'll look ahead at next week so you guys can be prepared for that. So, why study the Holy Spirit? This is number two on the outline. Thank you. Uh, so, I took these, these common objections to studying the Holy Spirit from Reformed Systematic Theology. Uh, so how would you respond to these? You can I'll, I'll read them all, and I'll add one, um, and you can respond to all of them if you'd like, or pick one. Uh, so the first one is, we should not study the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. Second objection, focusing on the Spirit leads to bizarre behavior. Third objection, the doctrine of the Spirit divides Christians. The fourth, studying the Spirit distracts us from Jesus Christ. And the fifth one that I'll add there is that the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is too, uh, it, it's not practical. Okay? So, you have five common objections to studying the Holy Spirit. How would you respond to some of those? Well, the first objection I don't even think makes sense. And I respond saying, well, if I want to be filled with patience, I have to know what patience is. Okay. So if I want to be filled with the Spirit, I have to understand the Spirit and what it's purpose. <clears throat> and to think I can be filled with the Spirit without even knowing what the Spirit's role is doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, I also think that Dovetail will work. Whatever. Pick that. Pick that. If you are studying, you're, you're saying that it's not worthwhile to study the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but you profess to a triune God, which is three aspects of one God. Then you're denying being ignorant of one third of what you believe. Yeah, it's uh, that's good. I would, I would be careful with the, the language of aspects. They're, uh, the the Trinity is not aspects of God. They're God. They're but yes, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's uh, 33% of God doesn't matter. We, we, we don't need to study this person of the Godhead. We just need to experience him. Okay. Yes, experiencing being filled with the Holy Spirit is a good thing. We don't want to deny that, right? But like Joseph pointed out, how can you... It, it, it's difficult to experience something without knowing what it is, uh, in this case, what he is. Okay, good. Any other responses to these objections? Well, I think Keith's response would even be applicable to the fourth objection as well. To say it distracts us from Jesus Christ, well, they are one God. I mean, he is one God. It's three persons in one God. So to say that studying or focusing our study time more on one person distracts from the other is, I mean, that doesn't even make sense. Mm -hmm. That's like saying, you know, well, I can't study my husband's 
physical features because it distracts me from his brain. Well, what? Mm -hmm. He's all one person. You yeah. Know, you want to know every facet of mm -hmm. the person you love. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, wrong. Or you know, back. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, I think it is just kind of piggybacks there. I mean, all three uh, Godheads work in concert together for the accomplishment of God's glory. And you can't detract from one or the other or focus on one or the other without encompassing the other two aspects uh, of God. And so if we do anything of, of that nature, uh, then we err. That's kind of the answer to the first question, the question to consider. Because Christ said, it's better for you, the disciples, that I leave. Because if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit won't come among you. So that's that's the answer to that question. Yes? I was just going to say, um, that while this does not make any sense, we'd be denying a gift from God. And denying a spirit that was given to us by God, by Jesus Christ. And mm -hmm. I think that's an affront to yeah, definitely. Um, the Holy Spirit is responsible for, uh, like like you guys have said, for uh, a lot of um, a lot of things throughout human history, throughout redemptive history, in our personal daily lives. What about the last one that that, that, I, that I added there? That the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is too speculative; it's not practical. How would you? We, we've kind of already answered that a little bit, but. How would you answer that objection? Because I think that's that's a common objection to the doctrine of the Trinity, for example. <clears throat> the doctrine of the Trinity, there's not a whole lot, you know, in the Bible that, that this person would say. Not a whole lot in the Bible that speaks directly about the Trinity. It's too speculative. It's, it's a scholastic, you know, sort of thing. How would you answer that objection with response to the Holy Spirit? Well, without the Holy Spirit, without the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God doesn't make any sense. Okay, good. What do we call that? How does the Holy Spirit allow us to understand the scriptures? What's the term for that? Special revelation. Special revelation? Yes. Uh, well, special revelation is, is the, the Bible, right? How do we understand special revelation? How does it become effective and understandable? Why do we pray this each Lord's Day? Yes, prayer for before the sermon. <clears throat> or before the reading of the, the sermon text. A prayer for illumination, right? Illumination. Um, you think about the minions singing that word, and then maybe you won't forget it next time. Um, so yes, the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. Think about the, the disciples when Christ is on earth. They'll ask him questions, and he'll say, 
Have I been so long among you and you still don't understand? Or the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Um, they didn't have the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. So Christ had to show them. And that is, that is the work of the Holy Spirit now, post-Pentecost, right? Okay, uh, real quick, what are some positive reasons you would give? Why should we study the Holy Spirit? We talked about some objections. If, if you, you know, at work tomorrow, somebody says... Why should we study the Holy Spirit? That seems like a waste of time. What would you say? To know God truly. Yes. To fail to study the Holy Spirit is to fail to know the triune God. Yes. And thereby you are um, you are not knowing. Yes. The one who created you. Right. Who sustains you, who redeems you. Yeah. Yeah, because the Holy Spirit is God. That should be incentive enough to, to study the Holy Spirit. And... Yes. I, I, I was never, I was relatively unaware of the importance of the Spirit until I read chapter 7 in Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It has a mm-hmm. fantastic chapter on the work of the Holy Spirit. And I, that's when I first realized nothing of God, God's work, can be done on earth. Zero would be in, would be in utter chaos, despair and murderous rage if it weren't the Holy Spirit teaching us a better way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, so we need to understand the Spirit. If we understand what the Spirit does for us, we can be more, we can be, well, we can take time to be thankful and also to pray that God would, you know, that the Holy Spirit would work among us even more, even more fruitfully and you know, then we have this prayer of the righteous affecting much. But you know, even like in, I think it's just I think it's important when Michael does every Sunday to pray, open every prayer with the Triune God. You know, because people have a tendency to say, "Dear Lord," and they understand that they're praying to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I think it's important to continue to emphasize that. The Holy Spirit is God, and when we pray, we're addressing Holy Spirit and not just Jesus, perhaps, or the Father. Right, right. Yes, the, yeah, like like you said, the Holy Spirit is responsible for a lot, for a lot of our uh, daily life. We'll talk about this in a lot more detail towards the end of the series, uh, the, the Holy Spirit in the Christian life, but think about the, the life, death, resurrection of Christ um, if, if, the Holy, if the Holy Spirit was not there to apply that work on our behalf we would not be Christians right the, the only reason you're, you're able to call yourself a Christian a son or a daughter of God brother or sister of Christ is because of the work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit works sanctification in our lives right uh, and, and lots more don't worry we'll talk about it um, okay, let's move on to number three here. Who is the Holy Spirit? Again, um, I think it's important to not just confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit, as we do uh, say in the Apostles' Creed, but to know uh, whom we are confessing. And notice, the, the question is, who is the Holy Spirit, not what is the Holy Spirit? Um, and we'll talk about the, the personality, the personhood of the Holy Spirit 
little bit later. But so the words used of the Holy Spirit in the Hebrew, it's ruach. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, what what two? If anybody knows, uh, what two meanings does ruach have? One is very easy. Breath. Okay, breath. Air. Yeah. Wind and and spirit, right? So breath, breath or wind and spirit. Um, and then I say this pneuma. Sinclair Ferguson says pneuma. I don't know which one is correct. He's probably correct because he's a lot smarter than me. But uh, so so pneuma in Greek, that's where we get um, like what's a pneumatic tool? Yeah, you have to hook it up to an air compressor. It's driven by air. So air, but also <coughs> spirit, pneumatology, study of spirit. Okay, so keep that in mind, the, the, the breath, the, uh, the wind, and spirit, that will come into play uh, next week with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Moving on to the names of the Holy Spirit. So there's only two here. Uh, that's not because there are only two names of the Holy Spirit used in Scripture. That is because um, the other names used of the Spirit are names of either relationship or of function. So, so for instance, the Spirit of Adoption. That is uh, a, a functional title of the Holy Spirit. So we'll cover that um, in other lessons. Like we talked about, this is, this is more on the ontological Holy Spirit and not... Um, not as much focused on the economic Holy Spirit. So, the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord. I have here a quote from Herman Bobbing. The Holy Spirit is the breath of the Almighty, the breath of his mouth. Jesus compares him to the wind and breathes him upon his disciples. So we have some scriptures there. Someone look up Job 33, verse 4 real quick and read that for us. The Spirit of God has made, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Okay, Spirit of God, the breath of the Almighty. Psalm 33, 6, let me read that one. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath slash spirit of his mouth all their hosts. Is that slash in there? <laughs> yeah. <It's> my interpretation, <laughs> yes. based on the King James Version. Ah, yes, thank you. And then John 3, 8. Someone read that for us. The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Thank you. Think about the, the famous quote from Martin Luther King Jr. You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. Um, and then John 20, verse 22. So, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord. Why, why is that one of the titles of the Holy Spirit? It's 
Spirit of God, Spirit of the Lord. from the Father, and then in the 6th or 7th century, uh, the Western Church added from the Father and the Son, which is filioque, is in the Son. What is that word? Filioque, it's in Latin. Two Latin words, filio, from the Son, que, and, and from the Son. The Spirit oh, proceeds from filioque. the Father. So that was, uh, that was one of the causes of the schism between the Eastern and Western Church. Um, because it, we don't have time to talk about it. But it, it. If you want to know more, you can talk to me later. But, okay, so, yeah, the, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Um, so it is the Spirit of God, Spirit of the Lord. Like I talked about, there's the Spirit of Christ, right? That's a, that's a relational title. The next name of the Holy Spirit we'll talk about is the Holy Spirit. Here we have a quote from Dr. Beakey. He is called the Holy Spirit because both his nature and his works are holy. So, real quick, uh, I think we understand that the nature of the Spirit is holy. And I think we also understand that his works are holy. But someone give me some of the works of the Spirit that are holy. Yes, illumination. Good. What else? Convicting us of our sin. Yes, the convicting power of the Spirit. Excellent. What else? Generally, the work of sanctification. Yeah, right. Sanctification is holyizing, right? Making holy. So the, the Holy Spirit, the work of sanctification is holy. So what are some practical implications of the holiness of the Spirit for the Christian? And I have here 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. I'll read that for us. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, not your own? For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. How is what what is a practical implication based on that verse, those verses, of the holiness of the spirit for the Christian? Without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're capable of any good works that God has prepared for us beforehand to accomplish. Or to encourage others to do the good works that God has established for them to accomplish in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. And then thinking about, so Paul here is talking about sexual immorality, right? Sexual immorality. One reason sexual immorality is wrong is because you're defiling your body, but your body is not only yours, 
it is primarily, if you're a Christian, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you are defiling, what, what are some practical implications of defiling the temple of the Holy Spirit? Does that sound like a good thing to do? A safe thing to do? And I have here a a quote from William Perkins. The third person of the Trinity is called holy because besides the holiness of nature, his office is to sanctify the church of God. So sanctification, again, making holy, that is, uh, all the works of the Holy Spirit are holy, right? But I was thinking particularly about sanctification when I asked that question because it is the process of making believers more holy for God's glory. Okay. If I could go back to eternity for a moment. Yes. So the word holy, as we know, would be devoted by God to God. Mm-hmm. Okay, something that has been consecrated, set apart. Well, what was what was one thing that the Spirit was doing from eternity past? He was worshiping the Father and the Son. Mm-hmm. He is devoted to Father and Son. Mm-hmm. Yes. As as who he is. Mm-hmm. As a worshiper, yeah. He, because the Father, the Son, the Spirit love one another, worship one another, glorify one another from all eternity. I always thought of them as loving each other but not worshiping each other. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you for that. Okay, so here on uh, C, the Holy Spirit is God, and this list here is a list of. Uh, reasons that we can say the Holy Spirit is God. So the Holy Spirit has the names and titles of deity. What are some of those? The Holy, start with. Yes. Holy, right? Good. Called God in Acts, Acts chapter 5. The source of uh, statements attributed to the Lord in the Old Testament. Holy Spirit has the attributes of deity. What are some attributes of deity? What, what are attributes first? Characteristics. Characteristics, good. So the Holy Spirit has the characteristics of deity. What are some of those that the Holy Spirit has? omnipotence, omnipresence, eternity, foreknowledge, goodness, love, truth, holiness, infinity, vitality, and simplicity. What does simplicity mean when we're talking about God? Not made of parts. Yeah, not made of parts. What does that mean? Explain that a little further. He is who he is. He's not part holy, part uh, truthful, he's all of, all of who he is, who he is. Right, right. You can't say the Holy Spirit, or God, or the Holy Spirit, is 50% holy and 50% loving. 
he is. All of his attributes are who he is. He's not divisible. Right? Trying the Trinity is not divisible. Each person of the Trinity is not divisible. Okay, the Holy Spirit has the relations of deity. What is that? What is that talking about? The relations of deity. Is that referring to his relation to the Father and the Son? Yes. Yeah, the Trinity, right? Um, like we said, the, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Um, the Spirit is given to the Son without measure in his, uh, in his incarnation and in his earthly ministry. The Spirit is present at Christ's ascension. The Spirit is sent out by the Father to believers. So the Spirit is in relationship with the Father and the Son. And from all eternity, the Spirit is in an eternal relationship with the other persons of the Trinity. Okay? The Holy Spirit has the actions of deity. Like what? Sanctification. Sanctification, good. Yes. What else? Only, right, only God can make something holy, right? We can't sanctify yourself, but you're not, uh, it's not just you. I can't sanctify another person through my own power. Only God can make things holy. What are, what's another action of deity that the Holy Spirit participated in? Managing the affairs of men. Okay, yes. Providence, yeah, definitely. Creation, right. Uh, Genesis 1, 2. Oh, yeah, Spirit hovered over the waters. Okay. Uh, good. So the actions of deity, only God can sanctify, only God can create out of nothing. Only God can, uh, only God has true providence, right? Um, the inspiration of the Word. Right? The Holy Spirit inspired um, the authors of the Old and New Testament. Right? No, no prophet speaks of his own, of his own will. But, okay? Um, the presence of deity. What is that? What do you think that means? Presence of deity. He's holy. He's holy, yes. Good. What else? Not bound by space and time. Okay, yeah. So omnipresent, right? Not bound by space and time. Spirit. This is a quote from... Uh, from William Ames. The temple is not legitimately consecrated to anyone except God, but in this place, this temple is said to be set up to be especially holy for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I, I think Pastor Mock will talk about indoxation next week. Indoxation. More like reviewing it next week. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so indoxation, that's E N doxation. Or, or I, right? Or I. It could be, it's been in either. Okay. Okay. So, endoxation is the uh, uh, okay. So, when God created the heavens and the earth, uh, He created the heavens and the earth, right? So, endoxation is is the the doctrine, the idea that the heavenly place uh, is the prototypical temple of God. The Holy of Holies in the heavenly places. 
and the earth, and, and specifically the Garden of Eden, the Mount of God, was created as a, a temporal copy of the heaven, the heavenly places. And from the moment of creation of the heavenly places, the Holy Spirit filled the temple uh, and, and is filling it still, right? The Holy Spirit is filling the temple in the heavenlies uh, to give glory and worship and honor to the triune God. So, um, yes, that's, that's what uh, William Ames' quote made me think of. The temple is set up to be especially holy for the Holy Spirit and because of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, <clears throat> the authority of deity. This kind of goes along with providence, right? Um, God is, what, what's one term that we use for God? Uh, God is what in that his will is what is done. Not Lord. Lord, okay. That's not what I was thinking of. I think someone was, yeah, sovereign, right? The sovereign Lord, okay. Uh, God is sovereign. Spirit exercises sovereignty over the church as he wills. Spirit led Israel through the wilderness. Spirit leads us in righteousness. He is sovereign. And the honors of deity. Blessing. Spirit is equally honored with the Father and the Son in baptism. Right? We, we baptize not in the name of the Father, or just in the name of the Son, but in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, this is a quote from the Nicene Creed. We confess that the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. Like we talked about, we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to profess to be Trinitarians, but be functional Unitarians, or I don't know what the word would be for d d dualists, I guess, functional dualists, where we only uh, worship in practice the Father, or the Father and the Son, and not the Holy Spirit. Alright. D here, the Holy Spirit is a person. So the Holy Spirit is someone, not something. What does that mean? Why, or why do you think I put that there? Why do you think Dr. Beakey emphasized that? People tend to think of the Holy Spirit as an instrument, mm -hmm. a tool, to okay. yeah. versus uh, personage. Yeah. The Trinity. Yeah. And so it's kind of a relegated to a, a secondary status where right. you could say for her gods, mm -hmm. trying God, all one, they are one. Mm -hmm. uh, it diminishes thinking of it. otherwise it's diminishing part of God. Yeah. I think often people think of the Holy Spirit as like some sort of force, like gravity, right? Gravity doesn't, gravity is not a person. Gravity is, it's just a, it's just a thing, right? Gravity doesn't want to do anything. Gravity, is, you can't have a relationship with gravity. You have sort of like, oh, I'm here, I'm standing here because gravity is acting upon me. You can't have a relationship with gravity. So the Holy Spirit is someone, not something. Someone read John 14, verse 16 for us. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Okay, good. Helper. What is what is that word? Does anybody know in the Greek? Another? Paracletos. Paracletos, right. Paraclete. What is a paraclete? Helper, yeah, right. Good. Yes. Advocate. Uh, advocate, right. So th- th- this is... Um, to think about the the historical context, right? In in Roman uh, society, the paraclete, someone who would come alongside of you to court, right, and and testify. Uh, this person could not have done this because I know who he is. I've known him forever. He could not have done something like this. Someone who advocates on your behalf. Do you bring along an impersonal force to court to help you? No, you don't bring along your dog to court to help you. You bring along a person. Okay? And, well, yeah. Okay, so, uh, the Holy Spirit is someone with a rational, volitional nature. What does rational mean? Thinking. Thinking, yes. Specifically, more specifically, because you can think irrationally, right? Yes. Level-headed. Level-headed. Truthful, maybe, right? Correctly perceived. Correctly perceived. Good. Right. Um, so the Spirit has a rational nature. The Holy Spirit has a volitional nature. What does volitional mean? A will. A will, right. What does it mean to have a will? Desire that things to be living. such a way and not another way. To be living. To be living. Um... I mean, words, I mean, what it means is to be an independent person. Okay, so like a, a living, active nature. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Volitional, you think about voluntary, it's something that you want to do. Um, the Holy Spirit wants to do things. Like we talked about, impersonal forces do not want to do things, they just, they just are what they are. So, I have here 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. I'll read that. All these, talking about gifts of the Spirit, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit wants to give these to certain people, and he doesn't. So the Holy Spirit has a rational, volitional nature. The Holy Spirit is someone unique in relationships with other persons. So there's a relational aspect to the Holy Spirit. You can't have, like we said, you can't have a personal relationship with a thing, right? Uh, Spirit has a unique relationship with the Trinity. We'll talk about that in a little bit with perichoresis. Holy Spirit is in unique is a unique person in relationship with human beings. Someone read Romans eight twenty six for me, or if you have it memorized, you can say. Good. So, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
Spirit intercedes for us. Spirit prays for us. Spirit sanctifies our prayers, right? Uh, that is something that can only be done by a person, not by a thing. Right? I think often, uh, I don't know if you catch yourself doing this. Um, I've caught myself doing this. Uh, using the pronoun it to refer to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit. It does this. It does. It's not the correct pronoun for the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is a person. Um, I have here a, a quote from John Gill. Now as the advocacy and intercession of Christ prove him to be a person and a distinct one from the Father with whom he intercedes, so the intercession of the Spirit equally proves his personality, even his distinct personality also. I want to point out that I, I wrote this down as it was. There were way too many commas, and there's an unnecessary semicolon in there. That was John Gill's doing, not mine. Um, why is it important to emphasize the personhood of the Holy Spirit? Yes, speaking truth is good. Why is this particular truth important? Yes. So, I think, um, how do I say this? I think that uh, a lot of times, at least Michael and I, having come from a charismatic background many, many, many years ago, um, I think that. The spirit, when we think of it as it, as this force, as this, for those who do think of it that way, it almost, you have the temptation to think that it's something that you can manipulate mm. for your own purposes, for right. your own, you know, and, and in the charismatic movement, they do often speak of, first of all, they do say it, you very rarely hear them say like him, but also they do think of it as just this force to use for their own experiential you know, whatever it is they're wanting, whether it's to, you know, well, lots of things, it doesn't matter, we won't get into that, but yeah, speaking in tongues, or, you know, supposedly just healing by shoving a person on the ground, you know, those things that you see, those videos and stuff that look extreme and ridiculous, but that's actually things that they do, and so when we are, if you don't look at the Holy Spirit as that third person of the Trinity, as God, then there is that temptation to think that it is just this force that can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, yeah that's a great... It come and go. It's not eternal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, uh, if the spirit is just a force like gravity, well, there was a time when gravity didn't exist, right? Uh, so then, could that be... Could the same be said about the Holy Spirit if, it, if he is... Excuse me. If he is just a force... Okay, good. And, and yeah, I, I think that, that ownership, that manipulation of, uh, of the Spirit is a really good point, really important point. Because um, especially now as technology advances, we, can, we think we can control nature, the forces of nature. And yeah, I think the temptation is there. If you don't understand the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity, the third person right, of the Trinity, and as God himself... There's the temptation to try and try and master the spirit and use it for your own ends, for your own glory. Good. Okay, so now we're gonna look at the works of the Holy Spirit in eternity. Like I said, um, 
one of the biggest things that the Holy Spirit was doing before creation was existing. So that's why we talked a little bit about who the Spirit is. There are two works here that I have. Um, Michael, uh, Pastor Mock, told us about another one that should have been added. Um, but this first one, perichoresis, or circumcession in Latin. This is a quote from Ligonier. I'll read it for you. This is on the bottom of the second page, and it goes on to the top of the third page. Perichoresis is a Greek term, circumcession in Latin, that refers to the mutual indwelling of the three persons of the Godhead. Perichoresis means that the Father is in the Son, is in the Holy Spirit. We can distinguish the divine persons, but we cannot pull them apart. They exist in one another, the Father dwelling completely in the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Son dwelling completely in the Father and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwelling completely in the Father and the Son. They make a distinction here between distinguishing and pulling apart. What is that distinction? How can we distinguish the persons of the Trinity but not pull them apart? By their works. What do you mean by that? What well, their, their job is, Packer says it so nicely, God decrees, God, God ordains, Christ procures, and the Holy Spirit applies mm-hmm. our salvation. Yeah, so there's the, the famous, uh, the, the, the external works of the Trinity are undivided. So, I think that's, is that what you're talking about? The, 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 each, each person has a specific function, but the the will of the Trinity is one. Do you want to know the truth is completely beyond the capacity of my mind to grasp? But, I, but yes. I, can, I can hear and understand what you're saying. I think it, you're right, it's important to try to explain what we think we mean when we, when we mm-hmm. proclaim that. Yeah. So, when we talk about distinguishing the persons of the Trinity, what does that mean if if I said I can't distinguish the door from the wall, I'm, I'm lumping them together, right? I, I can't tell what's what. It's all one thing. So when we distinguish the persons of the Trinity, what are we doing? Recognizing each part right. of the Trinity. Yeah, recognizing the unique personhood of each person. The Father is God, but is not the Son, and is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is God, is not the Father, is not the Spirit. The Son is God, is not the Father, is not the Son. So we're distinguishing them, but we can't pull them apart. What does that mean? Well, the triangle falls, if you would, the triangle, triangle, mm-hmm. the diagram falls apart if you take away one of the corners of the triangle. Yeah. Yes, good. So we cannot, we cannot pull them apart. There, so there's, the, there's unity in triunity. So the, the Trinity is uh, three persons in one God. And yes, that is very difficult to talk about, very difficult to understand. Um, you know, the, the, the deep things belong to God. But we can, uh, we can affirm uh, what, what God has revealed about himself. I put there the, the, the Athanasian Creed. Um, I think I have time to read a little bit of it. This is um, from the 4th or 5th century. Um, And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity. 
neither confounding the persons, meaning confusing them, nor dividing the substance, meaning separating them uh, completely. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such as the Son, and such as the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Ghost uncreated. So, it goes on like that for a long time. I would, I would encourage you to read the Athanasian Creed today. Um, but when we talk about parakoresis, we talk about mutual indwelling. This is what Joan mentioned at the beginning. God, the triune God was in relationship with Himself uh, from all eternity. Why is that important for our doctrine of the Holy Spirit? Why is the paraphrasis important? Yes. Uh, as far as relationships are concerned, is that what you're saying? Sure. <laughs> he didn't create because he needed someone to love. He has, in all eternity past, yeah. admitted relationship with the others. Yeah, perfect fellowship. It's not like God was lonely. Correct. Right. Good. Wanted someone. Right, because like Michael said, the the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity were worshiping each other, indwelling, uh, mutually indwelling from all eternity. There's no, there was no lack for God. He had perfect, uh, perfect <clears throat> being and perfect fellowship. And yet, and yet, they engaged in His work. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? The okay. creation. Yeah. Work the work of creation. Yeah. Yes, it was a, a, a free act, right? It's not, not a contingent act, like God needed something and so he created work. Didn't need it, but he wanted it this way? Yeah, God willed to create the world, yes. You could say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, uh, I want to talk about the covenant of redemption. This is another act of the Holy Spirit from eternity. What is the covenant of redemption? What is the covenant of redemption? I know my teens know it. Oh, yeah, on the spot. Plenty of teens in here that answer that question. They're all over the place. What's, you guys are on the hook now. I will not accept a non-teenager answer. A non-teenager? What if you feel like a teenager? Huh? What if you feel like a teenager? Oh. Uh, <laughs> this is the ontological teenager nest, right? Um, not the perceived teenager What is the covenant of redemption? What's a covenant? Promise. Good. What's redemption? Um, salvation. Salvation, yeah. Salvation from sins, right? So, covenant of redemption is a promise between whom? Right, there's two parties to a covenant. Right? There's uh, Usually when we speak of biblical covenants, like the covenant of Abraham. Uh, God made a covenant with Abraham. God was one party. Abraham was the other party, right? 
who are the what are the two parties, uh, if you will, in the covenant of redemption? If this is an eternal act of God, who are the two parties? Uh, no, that's a that's a good question, or that that's a a good answer. Um, it concerns the elect, so the the covenant of redemption is is about the elect, but it's it's a covenant between the Father and the Son, or some people say the the Father represents the whole Trinity as one party, and He covenants with the Son, and. What are the terms of the covenant? What is the covenant about? It's a covenant of redemption, salvation from sin. Um, God covenanted with the Son that the Son would be sent, would be incarnated, would be given the Spirit without measure, would be conceived by the Spirit, given the Spirit, uh, would die for sin, would rise again from the dead, and would be seated at the right hand. So, So this is the plan of redemptive history, from before the time, from before time began, um, I wish we had, uh, wish we had more time to talk about the covenant of redemption because I think it's a really interesting thing. If you want to, um, if you want a really good paper on the history of the doctrine of the covenant of redemption, let me know and I'll, I'll email it to you. Um, but covenant of redemption, what's the Holy Spirit's role in the covenant? of Yeah, okay, so apply the work of Christ. Makes us understand the work of Christ and understand mm-hmm. God's will and yeah. fellowship. Yeah, illumination. Good. Um, yes, the Holy Spirit agrees to be, uh, to conceive the, the human body of the Lord Jesus, agrees to be given to the Lord Jesus without measure agrees to be with him throughout his whole earthly ministry, um, be with him at his resurrection and his ascension, and now in his glory. Why is the covenant of redemption significant for our lives? What's the, this is again one of those, oh, this is, this is very speculative. It's Zechariah 6.13 mentions the Council of Peace, um, and, and people look to that as, um, that's speaking of the covenant of redemption. But other people say there's it's not really there. It's too speculative. There's no real practical import. Why are we talking about this? Why do you think the covenant of redemption is significant? It's practical. Well, it wasn't a plan for redemption that God planned before the foundations of the earth. We would be utterly lost. Yeah. There'd be no method. Yeah. Yeah, so the Right. The, the foundation of our salvation goes all the way back to before time again, before God created the world. And that's a sure foundation. Right? Hebrews 6 talks about um, the anchor of our hope goes up to the heavenlies. And that's not something that God decided, like, oh man, sin came into the world. I guess i got to find something else to do. There's no, there's, no, there's no plan B with God. This was the plan from before the beginning. Um, it's also important because the, the, the covenant of redemption is significant because it is the work of the Trinity, right? It's not, uh, it's not 
the Son convincing the Father to save us. Like we said, the, the external works of the Trinity are undivided. It's not like one, one person wants one thing and one person wants another thing. It's, it's all one will. Okay, um, so we don't have time, obviously, uh, to talk about the concluding question, but think about that today, this week. How, does, uh, how do the personhood and the attributes of the Holy Spirit affect our daily lives? Next week, like I said, Pastor Mock will be talking about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Real quick, some works of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Say that again, I'm sorry. What are some of the works of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Creation. He rushes upon people to prophesy. Prophecy, good. Well, he was at work in those who believed in that faith. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just as he is in the New Testament. Yeah. He was present in the, the pillar of fire and the cloud, right? Um, okay. That's good. Be thinking about that. Um, prepare your hearts to receive that teaching next week. I will close us in prayer. And we'll go worship together. All right. Trying God, we thank you again this morning for this opportunity to learn more about who you are, uh, particularly who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives and how we need to learn more about him and worship him as he deserves and worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as you deserve. Pray that you would be with us now, that you would help us to feel your presence in our hearts uh, as individuals and as a church by your Holy Spirit. You would prepare us for worship, that the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you, that you would be glorified in everything that we say and do. Please use this church and your people here to glorify your name and expand your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.